the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic for sports fans who like to read, listen, watch. The Athletic has it all fantasy stuff, betting stuff, certainly every sport, big or small, imaginable. Download the app, personalize it with your favorites, get ad free exclusive content at your fingertips. Start at theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C get 40% off that first year. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Gennetti. Baseball's almost here. The basketball playoffs are almost here. The hockey playoffs are almost here. There's plenty to talk about. Let's open up with some wide receivers discussion though, because the bills have locked in Stefan Diggs to a couple of reported, but at least four years, 96 million new money. He already had two years left. So that's a six year contract in the $125 million range. Total value sounds like 70 million of that is fully guaranteed at signing which is probably over three years. So that's a, you know, an adjusted AAV of about $23 million per year, which is right on the nuts to where we had it. And uh, it's good value. If you're thinking about Tyreek Hill at 30, if you're thinking about Devante and, and DeAndre at around 26, 27, 28 million per year. So the Bills are doing what they're doing. They knew they had to keep this guy because of the relationship with Josh Allen, because he's the true WR1 that they went and got a couple of years back from Minnesota. And look at, you know, I mentioned Hill, I mentioned Adams. You can toss DJ Moore into this conversation. There's just a, a plethora of wide receiver resets happening here over the past month or so, and it's good news for other players. It's good news for other players because we've got the young kids coming up here looking for new contracts, not so much in the best team situation, but I just threw some updated valuations up on Twitter. I want to get to them here and kind of break them down a little bit. We're talking Terry McLaurin with Washington, DK Metcalf in Seattle, AJ Brown in Tennessee. Debo Samuel in San Francisco, and even Deontay Johnson with Pittsburgh, you know, all number ones at their at their respective spots, sort of. I mean, DK Metcalf has Tyler Lockett locked in there, financially speaking, at least for two years. So there's a bit of discrepancy, certainly at the quarterback position there as well. And, and you know, that's kind of the issue, right? Terry McLaurin, McLaurin has Wentz for a year, and then who knows? DK Metcalf currently has Drew Locke, and then who knows? Maybe even who knows this year? A.J. Brown's probably one and done with Ryan Tannehill after this season. Debo might be dealing with Jimmy again, might be dealing with the beginning of Trey Lance. That's a who knows. Deontay's got Mitchell Trubisky right now, but it sounds like they're in the draft market, right, for potentially the next quarterback. So all five of these guys have a quarterback problem to some degree. But all five of them are in contract need status. And if I add Cooper Cup to this situation, who doesn't have a quarterback problem, he does have two years left, similar to what Stefan Diggs has. He's a fringe candidate for what, what could be another contract. I think they're probably a year away because they still have an Aaron Donald contract coming in the next couple of days here. So my guess is Cooper sits a year, and then he's going to have to be in the discussion next offseason. But Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf are four for 98s right now, base valuations. AJ Brown's around 491. Debo Samuel's four for 90, but that's just receiving-wise. You know, I can't put his, his rushing yards up against other wide receivers right now. Because they're just there's no there's no one like him. He's a unicorn. He's a one of one right now in that regard. Tyreek Hill has some of it in terms of his gadget plays, but quite quite frankly, he's getting pitched those balls. So those are receptions still. Um, so even his receiving yards and yaks and stuff are a little bit convoluted in that regard. Debo's a one of one. So if I'm telling you from from just a receiving standpoint, he's a four for ninety. He's got to be sitting there in negotiations looking at Tyreek Hill, who's much older, saying, "Look, that guy." you know, because of a rookie quarterback situation in Miami, just got 30 million a year and 72 million fully guaranteed. So I, 
I have to, if I'm Debo Samuel looking at Trey Lance's contract over the next four years and my production, both out of the backfield and, uh, and as a slotted receiver, how, how are you not looking at 30 million a year? How are you at least not looking at 72, 75 million guaranteed, which is really the important number there. So while he's maybe fourth on this list valuation wise, because of his skill set, he could jump to the top of this thing in a heartbeat if the San Francisco 49ers want to want to take that bait. And they probably should. He's that dynamic. And then Deontay Johnson's around the four for 88 mark, which is kind of the third tier of wide receivers now. If we're talking 30 and 28 at the top of the list, Stefan Diggs is now in that tier two in the 24 to 26 range. 20 to 22 is now third tier for a wide receiver. So that's where things have gone over the past two months. And you had to say you saw it coming. This is where we are now. So you can't gawk at the fact if you're number one wide receiver coming up in the next year, year or two, you know, that's Chase, that's Devontae Smith, that's some of these big boys, Waddle. You know, they're gonna be they're gonna be talking 30, 30 plus, because that's just the going rate. Now they may settle in the 25s, the 27s, and and, and increase the guaranteed number, which I believe is what should happen here. You know, let's talk more about what we're getting over three years, not so much what we're getting over four to five to six, but it's a heavily improved market. And we're going to see the cornerback situation reflect itself as such because of this. And we may st- start to see some of those secondary wide receivers, the WR2s, really start to take a step forward because of where the WR1s are sitting right now. So it's, a, it's an exploding market. You know, what's interesting to me is that the teams that are getting rid of these players are arguably the best teams in the league. And there was even some speculation that Buffalo may say no to this contract and move on from Diggs. Certainly that's not the case, but we'll see where we are. We'll see where we are right now. There's plenty to get to. There's plenty to get to. And this is a uh, developing situation at this position for sure. Let's talk some baseball opening day trivia with Scott Allen. And then the back end of this show, Keith Smith finally gives us some, some NBA breakdowns in terms of some pieces he's done from a player perspective and how that may translate into a fun, fun offseason for the NBA. All right, Scott, I'll be honest. I forgot about you for the last podcast. (laughs) You had uh, some great MLB trivia uh, loaded up for Cousin Dan and I, and honestly, Dan and I ran an hour, and I said, I'm getting the heck out of here, and I totally forgot about you. So here we are (laughs) on the Wednesday. (laughs) Still still not opening day, so we still got time to squeeze this in. By the way, most of opening day going to get postponed, especially on the East Coast. Yeah, those games are already starting to get punted to Friday and Saturday. So, as we expected, the weather has been a factor in April, as per usual. But uh, gives us more time to kind of break down these rosters and uh, throw some fun facts at people. Go for it, man. All right, so let's uh, let's go off of a conversation you and Dan had on last pod, and you were having a conversation of what teams in the top payroll did they did you guys think were going to make the playoffs. And I think you guys came to the conclusion that out of the, what, 10 out of the top 12 or almost all the top 12 you think are going to make the playoffs. So I went back and and did some extra research to get this little nugget for us for this. So I went back all the way to 2012 without, um, with excluding 2020, because all of the, almost all the league, it seemed like made the playoffs at that point. How many, what is the average number of teams below the payroll average mm. made the playoffs? Well, it's the Rays pretty much every year. <laughs> um, are you asking me for a percentage or what, what are you uh, asking me for? Num- in a given num- year, how many teams below the line? 
Yeah, the average number of teams mm. that make the playoffs that are below the average payroll. Well, that's a sliding number because of the expansion of playoff. But mm. how, how, how many years back are we going here? Uh, I went back all the way to 2012. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I can't imagine more than two. The average is actually 3.7. Really? So almost four teams. But back in 12, 13, 15, 17, there were five or more teams below the league average payroll that made the playoffs. Um, last year, only two made it. 2019, right before the pandemic hit, four teams made it. And then 18, three teams made it. So about three or four teams below the payroll. All right. I- I can get on board with this, Scott. I mean, right now the average is about 135. That's going to rise, you know, maybe to 140-ish over the course of time here, maybe even more. But we talked heavily about Seattle. That'd be one. I got to put Tampa Bay back in this conversation always. So there's two right there. Right. Uh, Milwaukee, I think you guys. Milwaukee is my favorite. Yeah, that's that's probably one of my favorite teams in the National League right now. So there's your three. Can I give you a fourth? Texas spent like hell, but I just don't think they're there. And Dan agrees with me. I guess Minnesota, even though I hate their pitching, but they did some some really nice positional work this offseason. It's going to be tough to find four, in my opinion. It's going to be tough to find four. So that's a good stat, though. Yeah, it, it really is. Because as you guys were talking, I was like, oh, let me go back and look and see what uh, the trends have been. And th- there are a handful of teams that, Below the payroll seem to overproduce. I mean, a couple years ago, it was the Miami Marlins. They overproduced, yeah. and they were a, sort of like a, a year ahead of where we thought they were going to be. And like you said, Tampa Bay is always there. So I, I, it's going to be interesting to see if that trend continues. Last year, there were only two, so it was more of the uh, spenders that made it. But now, uh, like I said, I had to exclude 2020 because it was like half the league made the playoffs. So now that there are more teams that are going to be in the playoffs this year, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that trend continues. Maybe there's more teams that sort of sneak in or feel. It does feel top heavy though. Time. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It feels, I mean, it, it's a pay to play structure right now. There's no question about it. You know, the Rays have been down in the twenties. They're back down to 24th right now because of that Austin Meadows move. And I don't know. That's about where they like to live. Generally, they're lower than 25th, so they're a little higher than normal right now. Seattle at 22 feels about right. Like like that team that's that can do a lot of damage with a cheap young roster that maybe makes a big swing at the deadline and pushes their their, their payroll over 100 million. That just seems like seems like the team sitting this year. That it could be a bounce back year or, or a bounce down year for the Rays. It could be. I mean, that AL East is loaded. So there's a chance that they stumble a little bit this year. And we see that financially speaking as well. But I'd put a lot of stock into Seattle and Milwaukee below that Mendoza line right now in terms of low payrolls, uh, certainly speaking. What else you got for us, man? Yeah, so that that goes right into my next conversation here is I I looked at the average ranking per division Mm -hmm. for salary. So I didn't look at actual dollars. I just looked at the actual ranks of every team in the division and i found some super interesting numbers like what you just alluded to with the tampa bay rays they're 24th right now the last four years they were 24th 26th 30th and 30th so you're you're pretty dead on with saying they're around that 25 mark My, my question is which division do you think 
spends the closest to each other. Mm. So all four teams are sort of at least similarly built, kind of. Yeah, all, all five teams. It's got to be the 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 NL West. Is that is that it? Uh, nope. Then I'd say the AL Central. Yes, yeah. they are shockingly very close every year to each other. Outside of last year, Chicago White Sox, they were all the way up in seventh rank. Yeah. But their their average as a whole is around 21. But when I do the deviation to see how close to the average that they are, they are by far the closest division spending within each other. Yeah, that might change. That might change a little bit because I think the White Sox really, really will push. They're seventh again right now, Scott. They uh, they smell it a little bit, even though they got some pitching injuries. I-, I could see them making a big push into the top five. And by the way, Detroit is coming. They are. They've got their coach. They have some of these prospects that are ready to roll, and Casey Mize and, and Spencer Torkelson. They've got Austin Meadows now. They've got you know they're getting out from under that Cabrera contact contract eventually here finally. And that's going to be the team coming. And by the way, I, I know you listen to the pod with Dan. Dan does not hate these Cleveland Guardians. I know no, they're the butt not. of a lot of jokes right now, and they're you know at forty million in payroll, and they're trying to lock in Jose Ramirez, but unsuccessfully. Their top three pitchers are as good as they have you know in the American League right now. It's just a fact. And Dan is pretty honest with this stuff. <laughs> like when he hates his team, he'll tell us he hates his team, and. He didn't want to, I think he didn't want to jinx it and come out and say, Hey, I, I like this team a lot more than I think, you know, many people are talking about, but I could just tell by the tone they're going to be involved at least in that division. So yeah, there you go. And, and I, I spoke highly of Kansas city because I think they've made some smart moves and I like their prospects. So just the eye test to me says that that would be the case. That's why they were my second guess. Um, I, yeah, I, would, would, I would expect <clears throat> if, if there's any sort of success out of Cleveland and Kansas city, you'll start to see some of those payroll numbers increase pretty quickly over the next 18 months. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But over, you know, when I look at the last four years here, th- these teams, they're typically in the mid to up tw- upper 20s. I mean, Cleveland's in 29 right now. Yeah. The highest in the last four years, they were up to 22. So these five teams typically are within that uh, 20 to 24 yeah. area. I found it also super interesting that the the NL Central, they were pretty close to each other. They weren't the closest. Um, the, the AL West was the next closest when you look at the deviation. But as far as the average, the AL Central averaged 21, like I said. The NL Central, they were around almost 17 average, which was the next lowest average overall. I find it very interesting that the spending of the middle of the country teams hmm. are are as low and close to each other as they are, and then you've got this, the the Wests and the Easts that are very uh, spread out. Like the AL East, their average is fifteen, but their deviation is is off the charts compared to the other teams because you have Tampa Bay and Baltimore going up against Boston and New York over these years. So yeah. The, the divisional spending I found very interesting. Yeah, that NL West has to be leading the day right now, though. There's no question about it. I mean, the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants are yeah top are. 13 right now, and uh, I don't see that slowing down. Even though you know the Giants have shown some pause, they're they're that team sitting right on the league average right now, Scott. That you know I love on opening day that, with any, with all these sports. That's kind of where I 
I put my focus. Milwaukee's sitting right there, like I mentioned, and San Francisco's sitting right there right now. They, they won 100-plus games last year, and they, they increased their pitching depth. To me, that's a recipe for success. So you want to tell me that they're the third, you know, the third spenders in that NL West? That's fine. I think they're exactly where they want to be right now because they have room to go up, in my opinion. They have room to add a bat or room to add some, some kind of injury fill yeah. by, January, by August 1st here. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point, especially with the central uh, division teams, because because of how close they are outside of the Chicago White Sox being all the way up at seventh already. You know, those are teams in there that they could add a, a splashy yeah. trade, and yes, it's going to raise their rank, but typically the the players that are getting paid are going to help you increase in Major League Baseball, like you said, pay to play. Um, so because they're so close, it may be one player that puts them over the top just yeah. to get them to, to the division winner. I looked at the last five world series and it was four out of the five world series, world series winners were division winners. Sure. Uh, so if, if you think you're in, go for that division because you have a higher chance of, especially winning. now with the buys, Scott. Correct. Yeah, especially Good with point. the buys. Um, by the way, if you flip this to tax payrolls, the Giants have sixty million in tax base right now. So, uh, I mean, that's that's two contracts right now, let alone prorated at the deadline. You know, they they could really do some damage when the time is right for them if they can stay afloat in that division. So, yeah, I expect that to be the one to watch, and certainly the AL East as well, with the Yankees twenty five million over right now, Boston eight million over right now, and uh, you know. Baltimore, 150 under right now. So, uh, yeah, the the dichotomy in that division has been incredible. And you mentioned the NL Central. Pittsburgh is Baltimore light. I mean, that's just how those yes. those teams are operating right now. And we know everybody knows about the Athletics fire sale at this point. The most tax base in Major League Baseball with almost 170 million. They've only got 72 million on the tax books, and a lot of that is dead retained money. And and same with Baltimore who's still accounting for Chris Davis, for Christ's sake. Um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of purging happening. But at the same time, there's a lot of... It's, it's an extremist situation. We've got, what is it, six teams over the tax threshold right now? But prior to opening day, that's certainly a sliding scale. But you know, we've got 10 teams, 10-plus 10 teams, Scott, with 100-plus million in tax base. So... You know, there's not a rush to uh, to the bank in terms of loading up on big contracts for a lot of Major League Baseball right now. And I guess rightfully so. We've talked about that to death. What else you got for us? All right. So let's go player player centric here. Uh, I, I looked at the top 15 average annual value contracts in Major League Baseball this year of the top 15. Three of them were not first round draft picks. Mm. Want to take a guess at what three were not first-round draft picks? Say that again. It's free agents. So uh, of the top 15 average annual value contracts for this season, mm. three of them were not first-round draft picks. Yep. All right. Was Max Scherzer a number one? Uh, Trout was. Correa was. Rendon? Nope. What the? All right, Lindor. Nope. What? Am I am I talking first round picks? 
First round draft picks. Yep. Okay, sorry. I'm I'm without copy right now. First round <laughs> draft picks. Scherzer. So Scherzer was. Cole yep. was. Trout was. Correa was. Robbers number one overall. Corey Seager. Nope. What? Yeah, he was first. Goodness. We're going down pretty far here, aren't we? We are. <laughs> and there's a reason why I did this stat. Yeah, I'm starting to understand that. Um, wow, how far are we going? Just give me the number. Uh, no, n- number nine. Oh. Oh, Arenado, get out of here. Yeah, he was a second-round pick. He's one of my favorite and, players in baseball. Then, then you have an international player. Okay, so is that... Uh, is Stan considered a national? I know. Mm, too, too far down. Oh. Machado, just below... Machado? Nope, just below Arenado. Oh, hit me. Miggy? Sure. And then the last one is uh, World Series winner. He's a fifth rounder. I mean, Miggy's a first round pick if there's an international draft, though, just to get that <laughs> yeah, out there, because true. that may yes. be a thing in, by, in three months. Um, a, a World Series winner. Fifth round draft pick. Fifth Shocked. Pick. Is that Cor- Corbin? Nope. Hit me. Mookie. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I don't know my baseball sure. draft slots here. <laughs> well, I, I didn't realize it either until I started clicking through. And I, I was shocked that the amount of first rounders that are hit um, in the top AAVs here, because we had that conversation a couple of weeks ago about uh, the, the draft picks and how valuable they are. And you said, oh, the first round is is super valuable, especially at the very top. It is. So I, I found that very interesting, which this leads into my next stat. Especially, Scott, because this draft is so freaking big. It you is. Know, it, a 40-round so draft, and still it's all about first rounders. You know, that's really the... And some of that is forced. Some of that is you are you are paid where you were where you were drafted, and you are given opportunities in the minor leagues because of where you're drafted, even if you're busting out. But a lot of it is that they just get it right. And some, you know, every now and then you find a diamond in the rough in the 25th round. But to me, that's even more reason to, to simplify and shorten this draft, right? Yes, absolutely. But it also shows why Houston did what they did sure. to tank and then rebuild and, yeah. and get to the promised land. So, um, so this leads into my next step dealing with first rounders. So I ran all of the cash for 2022 and I did the last five years as well, just to see if it was pretty much on par. And it was. So the 2022 cash being doled out, what is the percentage of cash going to first round picks this year? Oh, wow. So just uh, 22 payroll, just 22 payroll. Gotta be over. Is, is it over 50? It is not. Oh, Oh, that surprises me knowing what we know now. Um, all right, I'll say around 38 then. 30, 30. Yeah, you're pretty close. 36 and yeah. over the last five years was 35. So pretty close, but it's a massive drop off. Second round is around 8 to 12% depending on the year. So we'll call it 10% is second rounders. So, but. so what's the international pay? Do you have that? 
Uh, I do not because have I that. bet that offsets the other fifteen percent or so for first rounders because the international players that hit are getting paid. You know what I mean? They're getting paid really good coin. So I bet they're 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 basically like like a first round A. You know, a one A at this point. And I bet those two combined are are at or near that fifty percent mark for for MLB payrolls. That's an interesting uh, piece of homework for you there, if you don't mind, because yeah. you're right. The drop off probably after round three is probably enormous. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Do you All have, right last... I, I don't have the officials yet. You know, probably in the next 24 hours, I will. But do you have any pre-arb information yet? I do not have any pre-arb it's information. It's going to be big this year, Scott. It's going to be, yeah. <laughs> it's going to go against everything the CBA and the lockout was about. And I'm telling you, some of these teams have 20 out of 28 pre-arb players heading into yeah. opening day. It's kind of absurd. We're, it's going to be a big number in terms of players that are making less than a million dollars. I'll tell you that right now. Which will be interesting if there's that many players going to be on rosters, the, yeah. that bonus pool, the number of players that potentially hit on those bonus allocations. Yeah, but if you're an owner and you got to dole out an extra $400,000 to your number three hitter versus paying him $35 million a year, <laughs> right. you know yep. what I mean? Like they're laughing at this fifty million dollar pool. They're laughing at it, and every team's putting in what one point six million. I mean, come on, that's correct. That's 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 Pepsi money. You know what I mean? Like that's nothing to these guys. So it's it's good. I'm glad the younger players are getting the boost. But when you see the volume of players that are going to be at the million dollar mark or less, it's staggering. It's going to be staggering. And and by the way, that the, you know, forty three million for Max Scherzer versus. Seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, maybe for the second best pitcher, you know, in in the National League. It's just how it's working right now. It's weird. It's a weird dynamic yeah, because you're right. Because those teams at the bottom that we just talked about, the Oakland A's, the yeah. Rays, the the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're okay playing paying three hundred to four hundred k instead of having to pay thirty five, thirty million dollars to a player. They'd rather hit. Hit on those low sure. payrolls, their payroll low, then have to pay those. Like high for instance, players. Bobby Witt Jr., the the big prospect right. for the Royals, easily the rookie of the year candidate in the AL right now. You know, if, and if he wins that, and they got to pay him what a million, you know, whatever that bonus is, one point five million, I think we saw it as in the pool. Great, <laughs> great. You know what I mean? And best, and and by the way, can they supersede that bonus by giving him a three hundred million dollar extension right now? You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> There, there's a lot of ways around this. I expect those prospects to get paid and not even go through this bonus pool gar- garbage. But uh, it, it's a weird dynamic, and it's it didn't the the problem isn't that those guys aren't making enough money. They are, and, and the superstars will get their their hundreds of millions no matter what. To me, it's about how many of those guys are sticking on rosters. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like how many veterans aren't getting. F- actual chances to make opening day rosters. I'm seeing a lot of them fall off right now in, in favor of $700,000 guys. That, that's an interesting point that you made there. If a, if a guy like him yeah. extends right now, or does that 1st. exclude him from that bonus pool? I would assume so because his status would change essentially, mm-hmm. although it may not kick in until next year. So maybe not. Maybe he can double dip on that a little bit. But... um definitely something to watch the young guys the young stars in the league are definitely the ones to watch right now even though as you mentioned you know the top of the pay list and the top of the payroll list is kind of where FanDuel and vegas has most of their odds right now so fascinating stuff you got anything else for us 
Yeah, I got one more for you dealing with extensions, actually. Mm. So I looked at extensions over the last five years to see what teams have actually been extending players and not extending players. The, <laughs> Let me two, guess. Two, two, at the, <laughs> two at the top, you won't be surprised, but you may be, you're not going to be surprised, but you'll probably be like, oh, I should have thought of that. Okay. Is this total value or number of players? To- total value. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, the bets extension's got to have the Dodgers up there. And, uh, yep, they're number three. Okay. Um, oh, interesting. I mean, Tampa Bay's done their work with Wander Franco, with Manuel Margono. They're probably in the top 10 at least. Is Colorado in this conversation, Scott? Yes, they are. I don't have the number one yet, do I, though? You don't. Colorado is number two. Is Toronto number one? They are not. They are number 12. Oh. Who's number one? Big big name out west that hasn't made playoffs very oh, the Padres. Much. Tatis. Nope. What? Angels. Okay. Trout, obviously. Okay. His, his fits in there. So uh, Angels, Rockies, Dodgers, one, two, three. Okay. All right, let's go to the bottom. Can you guess which teams have not extended players that are in the bottom? I can't even remember the, the last Pirates contract. And they've tried. They're just not accepting them. They've got to be down there. They are. Um, they are down there. Baltimore's got to be way down there. Well, Chris uh, Davis, I guess, right? <laughs> Well, well, this is within the last five years, so I think his may have been even outside the that window that I ran this on. They're they're not even they don't even have extensions on here. Let's just say that. Yeah, that's right. So Pittsburgh, Baltimore. I mean, has Pittsburgh, Oakland, Pittsburgh was Pittsburgh was fourth from the bottom. I think Oakland extended Chris Davis. Are they down there though? Uh, Yeah, they are the fifth from the bottom been a while for cleveland they're towards the middle all right uh my neck of the woods oh the Nats. Nats, yes because yeah. I, and i had to double check that because i was like wait a minute steven strasberg just signed but it was a free agent signing not a that's right extension that's so. right he was able to negotiate yeah yeah um okay tigers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah tigers and then the last one i'll just throw in there Texas Rangers. <laughs> yeah, but they uh they turned the course in free agency this year, so Correct. That's not going to be the case going forward. All right. Uh, all right, that's that's kind of the usual suspects. Colorado at the top is interesting because we kind of laughed at that Brian contract, but if you start to look around, they also locked in Ryan McMahon. They're working on Marquez. They, they, you know, there's there's at least a core being but, put into place, right? They're not a laughing stock. I just don't I just think the I still have a salty taste in my mouth from the Arenado situation. Right. And I was going to say that includes Arenado in there and him being shipped out. Cause I went off of truly signed the extension, not currently with team. Right. So that includes that. Plus, like you said, the Bryant and, and those, so they're, they're extending, but not retaining to a certain extent, I guess. Yeah. And it's kind of reckless and kind of all over the place. And, Maybe there's some semblance to it, but it seems like they're they're reacting more than they're proacting right now. And we'll see what that happens in terms of the standings. All right, man. Enjoy opening day. Uh, you know, I know you're in the in the Nats neck of the woods, which is probably not <laughs> going to be good news for you. 
And, uh, but we'll see. Matt, Nats, Matt's to start this weekend. Good stuff, man. All right. Have a good one. All right. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. A great follow and a great read. And, uh, Keith has been excellent in terms of his player personnel and profile series for us really over the past three months or so breaking down individual player situations, financial futures, all the possibilities for contracts, extensions, trades for some of the more notable players this off season. And it kind of leads us into the NBA off season a week early, but Keith of these, of these pieces and they're excellent, by the way, they're, they're really great reads. Wh- which one do you think has the most momentum right now of these guys? I'll give you James Harden, Zion Williamson, Zach Levine is a pending free agent. Bradley Beal's on the trade block. DeAndre Ayton is a pending free agent, essentially, from a restricted standpoint. Who's got the most momentum in terms of offseason, I guess, the, I don't know, availability? I, uh, my, my initial thought would be probably Zach Levine, mm-hmm. uh, given the way he has played uh, the, this season, and he's, he's really uh, kind of pushed himself. But yeah, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, we... I think collectively as a group, we picked a really good group of guys yeah. to to uh, take a look at because they really are all pretty interesting because they're all coming from very different places within this group. It was, you know, it's one of those things where you you can write these and it almost becomes copy paste, change the names <laughs> in teams. Um, but we picked a group of players that are really just coming from such different places. And I think that's what made all this really fun. Yeah, no question about it. And I love that we kept the Lakers out of it, even though that's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be like, like the NBA kept the Lakers out of the play. There you time. go. Well played. Nicely done. Um, let's start with Brunson because first of all, a lot of people thought he was a restricted free agent. He's not. Um, and the Porzingis trade now kind of throws a different wrench into this, right? Because that that team looks different. They're playing different. They're playing better basketball. Um, but is he is he still one of the focal pieces, or do you think there's a chance that he's the next man out in Dallas? I, I think this one is so heavily dependent on the landscape of the league mm-hmm. this year. Where if this was one of those years where you had ten teams with thirty plus million of cap space and there was a bunch of guys, I think it'd be more likely Dallas would be really squeezed on keeping him but because of where the league is at to today I, I think we're in a position where it's the the there's just not that many teams that can can go get him um w- without uh making it in a spot where dallas can offer even a reasonable deal that would be what these other teams can offer and then you got to kind of factor in all right, the teams that do have cap space, how many of them are looking for a point guard and a point guard that's kind of on the smaller size? And the answer is very few. It's really kind of the Detroit Pistons. Now, sign and trades are a thing, and, and yeah. they're they're certainly becoming more in vogue again in the league because we're 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 to that point. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's um very interesting to see where this one goes. But I do I I tend to think Dallas because of how well they've played is going to have to look at this and say, this guy's a key player for us. We really probably need to re-up him and keep him. And then if the tax, I mean, Mark Cuban himself said, we're going to be deep into the tax next year. If that becomes a problem down the line, then what you do is you address it then with further trades. Is he a max guy? Is he the five for 175 no. in your opinion? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I can't I can't get there because the, the main, that goes kind of back to, um, no one else is going to give him that mm. as a free agent. So that, that's where that gets a little crazy. Now, if 
if a team wants to do that and wants to work a sign and trade, I think Dallas would be uh, at that point would be very happy to engage and say, yeah, let's, you know, figure this out. Cause they're not going to go there. I tend to think he's going to be more in the range of, it, it looked like initially they were hoping, you know, let's do 60 million mm-hmm. in that range on the extension. That's probably going to be too, too little. I think this is for, he's probably a guy who's, a 20 to 22 million dollar a year player so that's 480 488 somewhere in that range yes it seems like the uh that, that uh bridges deal in phoenix is probably about right for him if i if i'm thinking properly uh but you never know teams uh teams get crazy yeah. in the off season we, we've seen we've seen yeah. crazy things happen gordon hayward got a crazy contract <laughs> um, three years in a row teams have traded for russell westbrook on one of the first <laughs> you had to do it you had to bring the lakers into it i knew it <laughs> well, i knew it was dude, gonna happen <laughs> i brought russ in <laughs> uh, i'm gonna keep the big names away for a little bit longer tyler here here on these miami heat uh, you know, the Jimmy Butler stuff is starting to become a thing. Some of the bigger outlets are really starting to push him off this roster next year. Is that good news for Tyler Hero? Or do you think there's a chance that if they don't, you know, succeed well in this postseason? And, and look, they're a boomer bust for me. I mean, they could be the number one seed in the playoffs and, and be out in the first round for all we know. Is there a yeah, chance I that mean, they blow this thing up, Keith? I did not blow it up. I I, I mean unless there's another fight on the sideline and guys are going at it, then maybe they need to really look at something. I think what gets interesting with, with Tyler Hero, and I want to make sure just, just to, so everybody is aware that's listening, he still has one more year left on his rookie deal. So we're talking extensions um, with Hero. So he's still got, they've got him for 5.7 million. He's probably going to win six man of the year this year. And then that looks like that's a pretty good bargain contract, but that's the last year of it being a bargain contract. And then if you're the Heat, what starts to factor in, especially in that first year of a potential extension is if he wants a max contract, which is going to be for that year, that'll push over probably in the $32 million range as we're seeing the cap adjustments start to climb a little bit. What you're going to have then is you've got Bam Adebayo on a max deal. You've got Jimmy Butler in the first year of his new max extension. Mm -hmm. And then you would have Kyle Lowry at $29.6 million. And Duncan Robinson at 18.2 million. What I wrote in the piece for the site is at that point, because that's only, a, I just listed four guys plus hero. Well, you still have 10 more roster spots to fill. <laughs> what I wrote on the site is that probably at that point costs you Duncan Robinson because you're, you're going to look at it and I think and say, all right, we have some duplication in hero and Robinson. We like guys like Max Struess, who maybe we can keep a little bit cheaper and those kind of things. So I think what ultimately comes down to is how far are you willing to push it? Because that would be an extremely expensive team. And Miami goes into the luxury tax on a pretty regular basis, but I don't think they want to go quite that bad. It, the six man part of this is really interesting because I feel like he's flourished there. That's yeah. That appears to be where he belongs, at least at this point of his career. And certainly he can grow out of that. We've seen that happen quite a bit. But it, is he ready to grow out of that in terms of $37 million a year? You know, that's a big decision for Miami. Do you think that that this is one of those let it ride kind of, kind of situations, almost like we're, we're about to get to with DeAndre Ayton? Yeah, I mean, potentially. I did, They tend to get their stuff done early when they can. They, they did it with Bam Adebayo. And there, it was not a a major question whether or not he should get a max, but it was somewhat of a question. And my thought is what the heat would say is 
he comes off the bench, but he plays starter minutes. He's in the game at all, all the key moments. He's, you know, closes halves. He, he's in at any late game moments. He's averaging 21 points per game, five rebounds, four assists. What this kind of starts to parallel is James Harden coming off the bench um, in his first few years in Oklahoma City. Then it was, well, can that can that parlay into a bigger role if he has to start? And I think absolutely. I think that he believe, hey, whether he starts or not doesn't really matter, but they just kind of like him off the bench because that also allows guys like Butler, Lowry, Adebayo to feel their way into games. Hmm. Um, then, then Hero comes in, picks it up, picks up the energy and the scoring from there. So I don't think they're overly worried about his role. Bradley Beal and those Washington Wizards, you know, they've been the benefactor of a couple of nice trades here. And they're a watchable team, but I don't, you know, they're not getting to that next level. I don't think they can. Is this finally the moment? I feel like we've asked this question so many times. <laughs> Is this finally the moment? Because there's, there's another extension forthcoming here possibly for Bradley Beal. And I'm not sure anybody wants to do that. Himself included in this Washington franchise. Is this finally the offseason where Bradley Beal goes? I, I think possibly um <laughs> it's yeah i know real clear answer there, right way to way to pick a side um i i think it is we're closer than we've been yeah he has been consistent over the years of i don't want to go anywhere i don't want to go anywhere i don't want to go anywhere even before this season started he said i want to be here also let's not overlook his wife has been very vocal about they're happy in washington and doesn't want to move and that that you know, does matter quite a bit. But recently, the last handful of times he's been asked, he's left the door open more than he ever has, which is, hey, you know, we're going to look at it. We're, we're going to see what this looks like. Are we going into a, uh, you know, situation? And then I think the most recent interview he gave was, everybody knows what the situation is this summer, which is, I kind of, I always call that the superstars, right? You put that pressure on the front office yeah. to make those moves. And that's where he's at now. So, I tend to think he'll probably be back and this will probably be one of those. And I know a lot of people don't like this, but sign the, the extension. And then if things aren't working out in a year or two, you ask for a trade down. Is he still a max guy, Keith? Yeah, that's the, the tricky Isn't he part. fringy now? Yeah. It's starting to get that way. He, he has not been great. Uh, the, the last, uh, uh, really this year, but you start last year, he was really, really good, but, some of the challenge that's come up is we're starting to see this year, especially he had some injuries pop back up. Um, he had gone through a string of, you know, mostly healthy seasons. I know if you look at kind of the, like if you pull up his basketball reference page and look at his, his, uh, you know, his per seasons uh, games played, it might look low the last two years, but then you have to adjust for two shortened seasons in a row um, with that. But in those two years, he was over 30 points per game, but it hasn't always been the most efficient scoring for him this year. He dropped off to just 30% from three, which is really concerning because this is a guy who normally is a shooter, right? That that's his, his thing. So I do worry about that, but he was at a career high 6.6 .6 assists per game this season. So there's balances there. What I think happens is this is one of those, you're going to give him a max and you feel good about it this year. But then in the, Next year, you probably feel pretty good, but in the later years, it's one of those you're paying for past performance. If they extend him, what's the trade restriction on that? Yeah, if they extend him, then what happens is, because he won't get a, one of one of the designated uh, player extensions because he's already there. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, what would happen is that that would hold him 
uh, for six months on that trade trade restriction. Um, so that basically takes you into more or less trade window. The challenge is he's not going to extend um, because it's just he's given up too much money. He's given up basically six, seven million in first year salary. And I just don't think he, he's going to do that. I think he's going to um, opt out, sign a new full max contract and move from there. Okay, another off season of will they, won't they? But it sounds like they <laughs> won't they at this point. Um, all right, I got to get to some of these bigger names now. Actually, do you want to talk Zion? Do you have? Do you yeah. have? Uh, you know the the bigger markets markets are starting to get in there. I, I, you know Scott and I sort of trickled this conversation in a couple of months ago. We certainly had you do the piece, which is excellent. I think it's your best piece because it's this is just such a unicorn situation. Um, I guess I'll just ask it this way: Is he going to be the first player traded? in his rookie in his major rookie contract is he going right now before the extension hits i there there is a chance i i don't think that will happen where things seem to have calmed down a little bit on the zion wants out and all that now it's a little hard to you know float those stories when he can't even play so you gotta want there's there's some of that in there as well um but i do i i i don't think that's where it goes i think the pelicans um clearly are moving in the right direction. Uh, they, they put together a team that that's starting to really look pretty good. You're starting to see maybe some of the vision. I think CJ McCollum rebalances some things for them. He gives them a little bit of help in the backcourt that they didn't have. And now you're looking at it and saying, Hey, you add Zion to this. You're pretty good. Now the challenge is, um, as I wrote in the piece, he's played 85 games in three seasons. So basically one full season's worth of games. But man, those those eighty five games were good. He he was so good. He I mean just absolutely dominant uh, there in the, that period. So that says to me, let's we'll we'll, we'll go. I do wonder, are they going to do it the Joel Embiid style? You know, we'll give him the the, the full max, but we're going to put some protections in there that that you know put us in a place where if he has these specific injuries, we can get out of this deal fairly easily without a lot of money on the books left to us, but it would mean waiving play. Isn't, oh, interesting. Okay. See, see, I, I tend to think this way, though. I, I agree with you. I think we're, we're jumping the, the gun a little bit here with getting him out of town. Quite frankly, because we just haven't heard anything. He's not saying anything. His camp isn't saying anything. New Orleans is keeping their mouth shut, as, as you imagine. They're just trying to save face and, and build without him, quite frankly. Isn't this the like the obvious candidate to just let it play out to, to restrict free agency, or do you think he's just not going to allow for that? Yeah, no, I I think he he could. Um, you know, maybe it goes the DeAndre Ayton route where he's demanding the full max, and mm-hmm. the Pelicans are no, nah, we don't want to go that way. We're we're not thinking that's so that's what we want to do right now. Or yeah, we'll we'll do the full max, but let's get a full healthy year because that's the thing that gets forgotten with these guys coming off. The team still controls the process. Well, when you come off the rookie scale deal and you are a restricted free agent. So at that point, they could offer him the exact same deal they could offer him now um, and go that direction. So that maybe they do let it play out. One thing I will, I do think I would take off the table is the idea of signing the qualifying offer. We, I think might have been one of my initial pieces uh, for for y'all was about Luka Doncic doing that. And that that it sounds like an interesting idea because those qualifying offers have come up so much that they're no longer around eight, nine million. They're now like for Williamson, it projects to be about 17.6 million. 
I think the challenge for him is, given the injury history, that is such a huge risk. Yeah. So I think he would look at um, uh, saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that. I, I'm going to you know, sign some form of extension somewhere. And, and, the, and then, as you mentioned, to, to kind of start talking with him is, if you did a trade, you could go the Porzingis route where, right, perhaps Porzingis get traded by the Knicks uh, while still on his rookie deal and then sign the full max with with the Mavericks uh, while he was still injured. There, There is a potential that happens. I, I think he's uh, probably more likely to stick in New Orleans and then, again, play it out. And, hey, if it's not working out a few years in, I just ask for a trade at that point. So you expect an early extension? Is that what you're saying? Because I feel like if, I, if any of the cases we've had, you know, he's the obvious case to not do an early deal, but you think that they just have to suck it up and get it done? I I, I tend to think that's where it will go just because I don't think the Pelicans are want, are going to want to antagonize the player. Yeah. Um, but what they may be able to do is maybe that's your your middle ground versus you know, hey, is, is normally think middle ground and come somewhat off a max salary, but maybe it's, hey, we'll do this today without making you play potentially another game, um, you know, before we we sign this, but we need those and be protections, or we're not willing to do the um, designated rookie extension. We're only doing the standard max extension. Maybe that's the middle ground you meet, and maybe that's for Williamson to lock that money in. He'll take that early. So that that's going to be part of this. And this is why this one becomes you know, really complicated and really fascinating. We're just kind of seeing status quo with these contracts for the most part. I mean, there's, there's a slight variation here and there, but is there a need to go five years? Like why, why can't the Pelicans say, look, we're, we're willing to give you a two or three year chance here to, to get this figured out. And then we can certainly go from there if it works, but why can't this just be a two year tack on? Yeah, I mean, it certainly could be. I mean, that that is the option. Nothing says you have to. Well, a designated player has to be five yep. years. But anything other than that, you you can do uh, different versions. The problem is he would never accept that. He is gonna say, I, you know, I can go to restricted free agency and get a four year offer sheet yeah. from somebody, and then force you to match that, probably for the full max, right? Because there's always gonna be a team that's gonna be sitting there that says. We can't get a guy like this any other way. If this is our one shot, we have to take it. And then that forces the Pelicans into a, a matching scenario. So I do think it's certainly possible that that's the way, way it goes, but I don't think it will happen because the players just control too much of, <laughs> hey, I don't need to take that short term. I'll, you know, I'll get long term. And then, damn, it's not like it broke the record. I don't like it. I'll ask for a trade in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, no question about that. And, you know, as we're going to find out, everything's tradable, including Russell Westbrook yet again, right, Keith? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to go there, though. No, I'll go here, though. I'll go here because this is a developing situation, even though it may quiet down over the next couple of weeks. The James Harden piece was really relevant when you wrote it. It was kind of within that Brooklyn Nets falling out slash the eventual trade. Now he's in Philly. Now his financial options have changed slightly to some degree, but you know, for what they gave up, although you can say that the Ben Simmons situation is still fluid, very fluid. <laughs> um, you know, is there a contract coming for James Harden? I mean, Daryl Morey is a very smart man, but is he dumb enough to do this? Yeah. Daryl Morey is very smart, but he seems to have a blind spot when it comes to James Harden. Yeah. Um, I, 
I think this is more so, we talked about it with Bradley Beal, but even more so, this is one where first couple of years, you're fine. It's going to be those last few years where you're like, oh boy, um, you know, what does that look like? Because it just uh, the numbers will update, obviously, at some point when the cap finalizes. But he'll make, if he signs a full max deal, he will make over $60 million um, in his age 37 season. So that's, I mean, that you're, that's crazy stuff. Crazy. Um, there, you know, and then what you start to look at is, all right, well, I can't imagine the way we see him. It, he's still a very, very good player, but he's, you're starting to see some problems. He's breaking down a little bit physically. He's not as quick as he was. He's not able to get by guys. And then this hamstring injury lingering this long, that's definitely concerning because this is not a, I, I hate to paint it this way because it's not that James Harden doesn't work hard because he is a hard worker, but he's not like LeBron where yeah. it's going to bed at nine o'clock at night and, you know, hopping in the hyperbaric chamber for two hours and all those other things. Cause he wants to stretch out his career. James Harden is working hard and then hitting the club, waking up and getting going the next morning. So you worry about his kind of commitment to his conditioning and his body and all that stuff as he ages. So, but all that said, I think he's just going to get the the max deal from Philly. I think they're going to get they're going to give him that full max because of what they gave up to get him. How important he has been to Daryl Morey, and I think Daryl Morey very much believes, as he has shown over the years, is if I get myself sideways on a deal, I can get out of it. I can make it work and get out of it. But I think mostly this is about we have Joel Embiid, we'll have James Harden at least for the next two, maybe three seasons, we're going to be really, really good and be a title contender. And anything beyond that, that becomes gravy, and we'll figure it out after that. I feel the exact same way. And this is a multi-sport uh, premonition, honestly. It's the second something happens to you, that becomes your new value or your or your yep. new mandate, whether it's trade compensation, whether it's a price point that somebody gives you from a you know a franchise tag in football or, or a, a qualifying offer in, in baseball. That's that's what they did. They they kind of put the nail in the coffin on any kind of value they would have with James Harden when they added Seth Curry and and, and many pieces to that deal mm-hmm. versus just kind of going simplified and saying, look, we're, we're both kind of taking flyers here. We're more long term. You're more short term. I think they they kind of screwed themselves into two hundred and seventy one million dollars over the next five <laughs> years, which is insane. Uh, either way, though, he's opting out. Right, Keith? Yeah, he, he it, it, it's almost certain that'll happen if he doesn't there's been some kind of side deal made of you know hey do this and we'll do this later um but yeah it it is almost a guarantee he will opt out he'll sign a new contract which will take him up uh you know a a good chunk of money and then then you know attack on all those additional years after that incredible all right a little bit more of a positive story to finish this thing off the uh the deandre ayton situation is really interesting from a lot of angles number one this is the best team in basketball. One of the best teams we've seen in the past 10 years. Uh, clearly the favorite to get, the, get to the finish line here in 2022. He's a big part of it. He's not the biggest part of it, but he's a big part of it. They're letting it, letting it get to the finish in terms of his rookie contract. He's going to hit that restricted qualifying offer situation, I would imagine. What happens with DeAndre Ayton? And the other angle, by the way, and you know, let's not be shy about this. The Suns generally don't pay everybody, let let alone anybody. So the fact that they've got a couple of big contracts under tow, we mentioned Bridges, certainly the Chris Paul situation, neither of which are max, max contracts. 
What happens with Aiton? Is he going to have to take a hometown discount to even start to consider sticking around with this franchise? Yeah, and what's interesting is this might be one where how this season goes may play into uh, these negotiations from here. Because if they win the championship, and he's a big part of it, which he presumably would be, then it becomes a heck of a lot easier to say, do it, pay him, let's go. Um, because, you know, you'll have at that point, if you're the Phoenix Suns ownership, mm-hmm. it is we have we already banked all that extra playoff revenue. There's always is a big bump that comes your way from people buying stuff to celebrate a championship. But this one became more complicated, not when they signed Mikhail Bridges to his extension, because they got him at a very fair, fair deal. But when they signed Landry Shannon to his extension, that was a wow, you're giving him 20 million or so guaranteed and you couldn't get something done with Aiden. But all the reporting and everything I've heard from the people I talked to was Aiden was, I want five years. That generally tends to be the way it goes with big men because their careers can go weird sometimes at their side. So they want to lock in the most money. And the Suns were, we'll do four years at the max. And that fifth year was the sticking point. And that I would expect to still be somewhat of a question going into uh, this offseason. Now, what the Suns don't want to do, I, I would imagine, is I don't think they want to pull a Utah Jazz with Gordon Hayward. Uh, go out and get an offer sheet and we'll match it. Mm. Because all that does is make the player angry. And we saw, and it was well reported on, that Hayward was, when it came time to sign, and he ultimately signed with Boston, was, yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm leaving because remember when you made me do that? Like that hurts because he's going to get a player option on that fourth year. It always goes that way because that makes it that much harder to match um, for the, the incumbent team. I, I, I do wonder, do they split the difference a little bit and they, and they give him a four year max deal um, that has a, you know, like they, they give him, um, a player option instead, and they, they kind of go that way, mm. um, which would then allow him to get back on the market, but they they don't have to give him the fifth year. That's pretty rare to see when, when a team re-signs one of their own players, especially to a max contract. But I think this one's been weird already. We might see a little bit more weirdness come in. I like it. I, I like that it's not as cut and dry. Now, you, you know, you can call it cheap. You can call it for thrifty. Sure. Uh, and they have certainly have the track record of that over the last few years. But when you're also winning championships or at least getting to that, you know, to the finish line, this is what we see in all sports. We're seeing, you know, some concessions with the Buffalo Bills players and the Rams players and, and the Dodgers and the Braves players. The Braves just let a superstar, you know, franchise icon walk in Freddie Freeman. And, and I guess that would be similar here. So that's the question I want to give you. It, is it more likely that he stays or goes if they win this year? If, well... Jeez. You know what I mean? Um, because couldn't it be like, yeah, oh, it's, I got it done there. I can go get my money now somewhere else. Yeah. You know? Well, and in, in it, 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 I put it in the piece, so I'll just read the the piece. Is DeAndre Ayton a product of Monty Williams and the Suns, nice. or the Suns driven at least somewhat, but yeah, by DeAndre Ayton? That's that's the question you have to answer if you're the Suns first off, because DeAndre Ayton's gonna get paid, probably gonna get a max by something. Uh, Bigs at his age that are as good as he has been historically get paid. I, I know I know we love to 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 tout that the NBA is downsizing. They're going to small ball. They're doing all this stuff. Bigs still get paid. Especially every this time week. of year, though. It's big. Exactly. Yep. The the best ones always get paid. Um, so I think 
I, I that part I'm not worried about. But but I think if you're the Suns, what you have to say is, and it sounds maybe a little crazy to say this, but you have to look at it and say, are we just as good if we plug in JaVale McGee and Bismack Biombo? Or are we is that gonna change all that much for us? Can we just ask a little bit more? Um of you know, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Chris Paul, Cam Johnson who's come, you know, into terms. So, and that's, that's the question you're looking at is you've got to really start to look at our, what is our long-term beyond this year? And if you think we can plug another big guy in and get a reasonable facsimile of what Aiton's been doing for us, uh, off we go. We don't need to give him that max deal. Not to mention you'd be trading him at a massive high, you sure. know? I mean, he's yeah. just, he's just having that kind of season yep. and he's backing up last season. So, Yep. The, the kind yeah, of draft pick compensation you could get for him, possibly even for this upcoming draft, to replace yeah. him immediately on the fly is right there sitting for him, I would imagine. Yeah, whether it be draft picks or young players, yeah. which then you could kind of use as that's now our bridge into whatever the post-Chris Paul years look like. I mean, it, let's be real. At some point, Chris Paul is going to slow down. It clearly isn't this season. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know that it'll be next season, but it's going to happen. So yeah, haven't you, you know? And if I'm the Suns, I'm looking at it as, hey, I still have Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. Like I'm in pretty good shape. In in some teams, their philosophy is, bigs are the most replaceable position we have. We can always get another big and slide in a different guy and make it work. So yeah, I do do wonder. I I tend to lean towards they're going to make a deep run. I I think they're the most likely team to win the championship. Yeah. And I think what happens is I go all the way back to. Remember when Dallas won the title and then they got cheap and let Tyson Chandler leave mm -hmm. and Mark Cuban spent the next five years talking about how they should have never let Tyson Chandler leave. I think we're, that could be this kind of situation of, Hey, we won the title and let's not repeat that mistake of, ah, he's just a center. Let him go just because of money. I think they'll look at it and say, now nah, we're going to hang on to him. We'll, we'll figure out the rest of it later. It's great stuff. Keith, this, uh, this whole series has been excellent. I'm really uh, glad you're on board for it. This is definitely your niche. What's, uh, what's next in the docket? I know you're switching to more, more off-season stuff, right? The free agents, the, uh, some of the signing trade options, some of the uh, possible trade candidates to bring the Lakers back into this. Uh, and you did a, a team-centric piece with OKC and their 17 first-round picks and, and what could become of that situation. Um, what else is in the docket for you? What else do you actually, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. What do you want to be talking about right now for this off season? Yeah, I, I think, I think you're, you're, you're kind of leading into it. Next is we start focusing on the teams as a whole, um, because we're, we're, you know, it, don't get me wrong. I love the playoffs. I'll watch every second, of it. but my mind is now, yeah, I'm already at the end of June, right? Right at the end, at the NBA draft and going into next season, we just got a new salary cap projection, which changes. You know, it, it was only a million, but that changes a lot of things. So I'll be working on salary math and, you know, all that stuff. And and we, we start looking at the the individual teams and what their off seasons uh, might look like. Because although this is not a season where there's a ton of teams with cap space, there's a lot of guys. We just went through a whole bunch of them whose futures are kind of in question. And I think these playoffs are going to help guide some of that. And I think we're also going to be looking at it with these teams as, the way to make changes is through trade. And I think you we have a league that's very wide open. A lot of teams feel like they can go win it. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams do what they can to kind of load up and make those runs after we get through through this postseason. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to dive in, get started on the offseason stuff and all that. 
You're the best, man. Thanks for the time. Thank you for having me. All right, my thanks to Keith Smith. He's at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter. You can see him all over spotrack.com right now with these pieces and plenty more to come. Thanks to Scott. Good baseball trivia, getting us ready for opening weekend. Maybe not opening Thursday so much, but opening weekend. I'm certainly psyched for that as well. My thanks to The Athletic. Keep up with all this jazz at theathletic.com slash spotrack. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription for Scott Allen and Cousin Dan. My name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. We'll be right back.